This is the 2006 Palm Springs Bible School. Brother Anthony Whitehorn's topic is Be Transformed. His second class is entitled Transformation, Why Should I? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, that's fabulous, that. <laughs> you are such a friendly bunch of people, I have to say that. And in all sincerity, you are really, it's, it, you are so friendly because um, uh, I'm out here on my own and it's not very nice being away from your family. Uh, but I have to say, thank you very much for making me feel really welcome. That's, uh, that's really special. Thank you. I was telling my wife about that this morning. And I was just, there's only about an hour in the day when I can phone her, I've worked out. It's eight hours. It's not a good time, time fix, actually. Either I'm in bed or she's in bed. I tried to phone her up, but she was in bed, so she just didn't answer the phone. Uh, and uh, so, so I called her this morning. Um, and she was, it was about five o'clock there and it's nine o'clock here. And I was saying, what a lovely, friendly bunch of people you are. So thank you very much, Nee, for making me feel welcome. That's nice of you. Um, yesterday, uh, we went through and had a little bit of a look at um, uh, exactly what we're trying to be doing this week. And we, we, we considered yesterday transformation, what is it? And during our study time, uh, we, we looked at uh, the book of Romans and we analysed that word, uh, metamorpho, and we appreciated that that word was all about an inward change. And it was a dramatic change. It was from the caterpillar to the butterfly, from the tadpole through to the frog. So it was something that was quite fundamental that we as Christians should be doing. And Paul has urged us, implored us to do, to fundamentally change. So we considered that that was what we, we, we should be doing, or that was what, what uh, um, transformation was all about. And this morning, um, we're going to be looking at, as you can see up there, why should I? Why should I change? Uh, so that is our, uh, our Tuesday's subject. So here comes the challenge then. Why should you transform? Should you transform because you have been told from the good book, you've been told that that's what you should do? You know, I have a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, and this is the problem that I have, is that we, as Christians, are criticised. Are criticised because we um, are perceived by the outside world as being robots as being automatons, as being individuals who can't think for ourselves, And I would put to you that it isn't just because we have been told that we should do that. And we should analyse when we look at uh, the Bible as to the reasons behind it, not just take it at face value and saying, I've been commanded to do it, therefore I should do it. So the challenge for you and me today is to really understand why. Why I should do these things. Why am I a Christian? Why do I do a particular thing when I'm a Christian? It's not, well, I've been told as a command that I should do it. Let's understand the motive and the reason behind it. So I think that is the challenge that we should have in being transformed as to why we should be transformed. I mentioned to you yesterday that this here is always, this is how we are. We are always full. 
we are either, this glass is always either full of air, or full of water, or full partially of water and air. And I put to you that, naturally, this glass is an empty glass. I did have an empty glass up there, but someone's moved it. But it doesn't matter. We are naturally, imagine, can you have your imagination going now? This is an empty glass, okay? And that's how we are, naturally. And in order to fill that glass with water, we have to displace it. The water is poured into the empty glass, and that displaces the air. I want you now to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And I don't want you to think about yellow bananas. You mustn't be thinking about any yellow bananas now, all right? So you're not thinking about that, are you? Okay, all right. What I want you to think about now are those lovely, juicy dates at the back of the room that we've been having, all right? You can think about those now. It wasn't that easy. You can open your eyes now. Some of you have fallen asleep. Okay, please open your eyes. Now, wasn't that easier the second time? And that is God's displacement theory, or God's replacement theory. And that's how it works. That when I said, don't think about this, wasn't it? It was hard not to think about the yellow bananas. But when I said, now think about this, about the dates, oh, we could displace the yellow bananas for the lovely juicy dates. That's God's displacement theory. And he talks all about it in that parable about the woman who swept her house clean of the, of the demon. And it was completely empty and seven demons came back in. So what we should be doing is we should have our displacement theory in our route to transformation. It's no good just getting rid of all of the bad things in our life. We should be displacing them with something else. And that's why I chose Galatians chapter 5. Let's have a look at it, if you don't mind. Galatians chapter 5 is God's displacement theory. And what we're going to be doing together is we're going to be having a look at various things. And certain things come out which are a little bit surprising. What can, here's another one. Can you just have a look round? Can you look round and can you just, just have a look at and try and remember all the things in the room that are red? Can you just look round and just look round and see all the things in the room that are red? There's a lot of people looking at you over there. <laughs> okay? Right? Have you got all those things in the room that are red? Okay, now close your eyes. All right? Close your eyes. Okay? And now, think about those things that you've seen, and remember the things that are blue. Oh, oh! you can't be looking now, you've got a few people looking. Oh, now open your eyes. And this is how God works. Sometimes we're looking at something and we're remembering something, and then, actually something comes out that we're not expecting. And that's what we want to be doing this morning, is, yeah, we'll be looking at one thing, but actually, we should be a little bit more open and have a look at various other things in, in the Bible. And that's what we've been looking this morning. We'll be looking at red things and some blue things as well will be coming out. And in this passage here, 
which is, in, in my, my Bible here, is entitled Life by the Spirit. This is all about transformation. And it's a surprising, surprising passage, really, that comes out for me here in this aspect of transformation. Um, how it starts off, then, is it, it goes through and it looks at the acts of sinful nature. What are the acts of sinful nature? The acts of sinful nature is how we are naturally. When you read this, you think, oh, dear, oh, me, they are terrible things, those. That is the acts of the natural man. And that's quite concerning. Because when we go through them, as we're going to now, we will be perhaps a little bit surprised. There are four categories. They're not putting categories here, but there are four categories of the acts of the natural man, of the natural man and the natural woman. And here are, this is what we are like when our glass is empty and full of air. Right? We're going to be looking at these, and then we're going to be using God's displacement theory, putting in the acts and the fruit of the Spirit, to displace those, those acts of the natural man. Here's the first category. And they are sexual. It says there in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. They got them up there. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness. Now, these are not everyday words. And when you sometimes you think, what is lasciviousness? What are some of those words up there? Let's just have a little bit of an understanding about what these words are. And these are the acts of the natural man. Man is sinful and desperately wicked. And here, here are the things that, that have come out. And they are sexual acts. Natural man um, has this tendency to commit adultery, to have sex with other people. When you are married, there's a tendency, there's a desire to have sex with other people. And that is what the act of adultery is, as you know. So, man, whilst God at the very beginning said, it is good for man to be joined to one woman, actually, the natural tendency is a desire to have more than one partner. And that is what the natural man wants to do. And when you come on to sexual immorality, or in some uh, versions it says fornication, that is different from adultery. For that is having sex with more than one partner, but outside of marriage. So, adultery is having sex with more than one partner when you are married, and sexual immorality is having sex with more than one partner when you aren't married. And this is the desire of the natural man. And I tell you what, it goes on unbelievably in the world. 
there's, there's a, a girl in, um, in our CYC, and we were talking about what are the challenges that you have. And we had our youth weekend two, two weeks ago. And we were talking about that in, our, in little groups, in discussion groups. And we said to her, uh, I remember in the discussion group that, that I was in, and she is 17. And uh, she said, we said, what, what's, the, what's the big challenge in, in your life? And she said, the biggest challenge in my life, and she's baptised, she said, is that in the sixth form, so in her, her, her group, uh, in the sixth form, she said, I am probably unique in that I am a virgin. And there are probably 300 girls in, in her group. This is the act of how the world is today. Um, and it's quite remarkable that there is a tendency for the natural man to have more than one sexual partner. Isn't that tragic? So what about uncleanness or impurity? Uh, that literally means to have dirty or lustful thoughts and behaviour. And we think back to when Jesus talked about on the Sermon on the Mount that when you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her as well. And that is a challenge. That is a challenge for, for me, for all of us. To have a look at a, a beautiful woman and not to have um, lustful thoughts. That is the act of the natural man. And yet Jesus says, if you have those lustful thoughts, you have committed adultery with her. And the last one there, lasciviousness, or in some versions it says debauchery. And that is actually homosexuality, or lesbianism. So these are sexual, te- sexual tendencies of the natural man. This is how man is, naturally. To have more than one sexual partner. That's the desire. To think of sexual acts. To have sex, desire sex, with people of of the same sex. And that is the natural man. How does God feel about that? When we recognise yesterday that he made a man in his own image and said at the outset, that is very good. And now he looks at the natural man after the fall and sees these desires, these sexual desires. You see, uh, sex is a gift from God. It's a wonderful gift from God. But it it is to be used in a particular way. And the natural man has abused it. And when we go through a number of these acts of sinful nature, how man is naturally, when the glass is full of air, um, what we see is that God has given us many gifts and man has ended up abusing them. And sex is a prime example of that. Okay, so that is the first category of how man is naturally. 
a desire to have adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness and lasciviousness. What's the second category? The second category is this one here. It is for, it says in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. Let me tell you now, I struggled with this one because naturally, I, I didn't know that man naturally has this desire to, to, to get into witchcraft and idolatry. Hmm. And then I said, okay, where else does do these words occur together in the scripture? So it was a great place to start. And there I can, for I can understand how the natural man is with regard to what, what, what God is trying to tell me here with regard to idolatry and witchcraft. And these two words occur together in one other place. And it occurs when a man approached another man and all he heard was and Samuel looked at Saul and said what's that I can hear? are they sheep? is that cattle that I can hear? and of course Saul turn around in 1 Samuel 15 and, and, and said, hey, hold, hold on, hold on Samuel, I, I kept the best, I kept the best for God. And what does Samuel say? Does God delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying him? For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Isn't that interesting? Because I struggle with this verse in, in Galatians, but when you start to analyse it and think about it, actually, witchcraft and idolatry is all about rebellion and arrogance. It is man not wanting to go a particular route. It is man thinking that he knows best. That is rebellion and arrogance. And we are like that, aren't we? We do have that tendency to think that we know best. And that's what the glass is like when it's full of air. It's you and me saying, yeah, actually, I, I, I the old I-itis, I, I know a little bit better than that and I'm going to do this. That's rebellion and arrogance. And that's what Saul did. I saved the best for God. You are arrogant and you are rebellious, Saul. And today, your kingdom has been taken from you. So, that is the, the category of idolatry and witchcraft, which brings me on to the third category, which is that of strife. And um, here we have a whole long list 
as you can see there in Galatians, and it talks about hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, wrath. I call it wrath, okay? I know yesterday some of you are thinking, what is wrath? You call it wrath, okay? Now you understand what I was talking about when I was down there. Wrath, okay? God's wrath. Wrath. <laughs> okay? In Romans, I was talking about wrath. Uh, and now it's all coming together, okay? And a number of people said, what is wrath? Wrath. Okay, God's anger. Okay, wrath. Okay, uh, wrath. Uh, uh, strife or selfish ambition, seditions or dissensions, heresies and factions. This is the acts of sinful nature. I can relate to these. I understand these very well. Let's go through them. Um, because all of these here, we had the sexual ones, we had the ones that are all about idolatry, and now we've got strife. And all of these are to do with relationships with others. I'm good at these. And, um, and this is what God is talking to you and me about. This is how we are naturally. And we have a tendency to slip very easily into these. Uh, and what I find is that when we're in a week together like this, I can, I can suppress some of these. Um, but, but if you knew me really well, I tell you, these would be popping up all over the place. And, uh, and that's what living together is all about. Living together is all about is is recognizing that this is not what God wants when these ones pop up. Uh, and, and I see this in, in other people, and I don't like it in other people. Uh, and and it, my wife's really good, because when I see this in other people, and I said, I don't really get on with him, because you know, he, he, he loses his temper too much, or, 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 or I don't like that person over there because of such and such. And my wife turns around to me, and she says... Do you know what? That person that you don't get on very well with over there, who perhaps displays some of these things, let me tell you, you're going to end up having a vine next door to him in the kingdom. Ooh. Now that, that I'm not too sure about that one. <laughs> um, but actually that helps me. Because it makes me realise, and when we come in on the last day and we talk a little bit about relationships and how we get on with people, just remember that. If there's, somebody here, if there's somebody here or in your life that you think, I struggle with that, because he perhaps is displaying some of these, these attributes, these acts of sinful nature, just remember, you, you might be having a vine next door to him and be living next door to him forever. Let's go through to some of these then. Hatred. Uh, this actually means, and I've put um, the, uh, the Greek word next to it, and, and what that Greek word actually means is it means a bad feeling that is hidden in the heart. And that's what, that's what God doesn't like. It's not, I hate that person coming out outwardly. It's the hatred that's hidden in the heart. We're, we're great at putting up the good appearances. But God says, I'm not interested in the appearances. I'm interested in what's in your heart. So, it's the hatred that's in your heart 
that God doesn't like. Not the hatred that comes out. What about discord or variance? This is the word eris, the Greek word eris. And this actually comes from, um, and it was used in, in the games a lot. It's about contestants um, uh, uh, contesting against each other. And you would think, oh, that's, that's quite a good thing, that. And it's contesting against each other in order to try and win. And here we have this, this natural thing inside you. It's not nice to lose, is it? No, it's not nice to lose. And we have this little thing inside us that said, I want to win. And I noticed that with myself, and particularly my daughter, whereby when we're having a little discussion, we both want to have the last word. Um, and that's that little thing inside us. It's about wanting to win. We want to win all the time. And it comes up in our relationships with each other. That's what discord is about. It's wanting to win against the other person. What about um, emulations or jealousy? And that Greek word actually is the Greek word for zeal. And <coughs> zeal, I would suggest, is a good thing. And it comes back to this thing, this aspect of where God has given us this gift and we have abused it and misdirected it. It actually means misdirected passion. That's what that word there specifically means in the Greek. It's misdirected passion. And we want to be passionate, but we have misdirected it. Then this next word, wrath, or fits of rage. And this is the word themus. And this is about anger. Oh, it is naturally, isn't it natural, when you're hammering in a nail and you hit your thumb with the hammer, what do you go? Oh dear. <laughs> it's natural to get angry, isn't it? And that's the challenge. And I've, I've, I've got into the habit now that when something like that happens, I'm into word substitution. Because <laughs> I think that's all right in a way, but it's not. Because this is about the inner anger. It's not what comes out of a man that's important, it's what's inside a man. Oh, that, that's a really tough one, isn't it? Because that is, we would say, very natural to get angry. Fits of rage. Hey, I don't get into fits of rage. This literally means don't get angry. Ooh. Right. What about this selfish ambition? This is about why do we do things? Why do you do certain things? Ambition is a good thing, isn't it? Because God has given us that little gift of ambition to be ambitious for him. And we have yet again misdirected it and ambitious for me. Why, why do you do certain things? Why do you do certain things in the meeting? 
Is it so that somebody can come up and say, you did a really good job there, thank you. I remember Brother Len Richardson saying that um, he just stood up and he'd given a really, he knew, he'd given a really good Bible talk. It was a, it was a corker. Superb Bible talk. And he went down, he sat down in the, in, in, in the audience afterwards. And a brother came up to him and said to him, Brother, can I just say, that was a really good Bible talk. And Brother Len turned around and said, Yeah, the devil inside me said the same thing as well. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Let me put this challenge to you. Why do you want to be in the kingdom? Do you want to be in the kingdom because you want to live forever? Do you want to be in the kingdom because you want to be with Jesus forever? Or do you want to be in the kingdom because you want to give back to God the reason for which you were made? Now I find that quite a challenge. Because I suggest that certainly initially the reason that I wanted to be in the kingdom was, I put it like this, for selfish ambition. Because I wanted to live forever. Let's just analyse some of the reasons that we do things. Dissension. Um, Seditions. Now, that's slightly different from discord. Um, And discord is staying together and arguing. Dissension, or sedition, is splitting. We're good at that, aren't we? Man is good at that. We are natural man. Our community is good at that. Do you know, the purest fellowship that we can ever, ever have is a fellowship of one. And I put it to you. If, if all of you were like Anthony Whitehorn, it would not be a very nice place. God wants us to be different. And naturally, what happens is that when we come against differences, we either get discord because we want to win, or we end up taking our bat and ball home and a bit of dissension. And we end up splitting. Why do you think in the Bible that when we read about the disciples, it says, Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot? We know so little about Simon the Zealot, but I tell you what, if ever, ever, you wanted to get a group of people that weren't going to get on, you're going to get a zealot and a tax collector. And you're either going to get a load of discord or a load of dissension. Isn't Jesus saying that to us here? You're different. And naturally, there'll be discord or there'll be dissension. You either will want to win, or you'll say, I don't agree with that, and go off. And I pray, I pray personally 
from me for the spirit of tolerance. And I would suspect that that it would be a lovely prayer that we could, we could offer because we are very different. And there's a natural tendency to have discord and dissension. And what about factions and heresies? Well, that literally means where we think that our own ideas are better than God's ideas. And uh, we are therefore ending up being too close-minded. And actually, being open-minded is a... Some would say is risky. I would say that's where we should be. Because that's how we grow. Being open-minded. And being open-minded to looking at this and hearing other people's points of view on it. Because if we don't hear other people's points of view, we'll either end up with discord or dissension. Or we'll have our own ideas. I can see me in all of those. That is absolutely the natural Anthony Whitehorn. And the final aspect are the aspect of excesses. Where it talks about drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Drunkenness or, and orgies. Uh, and this is again the misuse of something that is meant for our good. A little bit of wine is good for the stomach. Sex is a gift from God. And we have abused it. Why? Because we take it to its excess. That is a foible of natural man. Well, there's something that's nice, we just want more of it. And so we have those, those categories. And it's, actually, that's quite interesting, that, isn't it? How does God feel about that? How does God feel about giving us these gifts and, and we end up abusing them? And that's what seems to happen in a lot of these. He gives us gifts. And it's, imagine, just imagine that you have got all your savings and you identify a, a, a brother or a sister in the meeting and you get all your savings and you, you go and you buy a beautiful car. It'll be a Hyundai. I work for Hyundai, so... <laughs> so, can you buy one? <laughs> you go out and you buy a Hyundai. Beautiful car. It's a lovely car. Pristine. It's wonderful. And you actually go and give it to this brother or sister in the meeting. All of your savings and you've given it to the brother or sister in the meeting. And you come back in three or four weeks' time, and you see that, that beautiful car, it's got a scratch on it. Oh. And you look inside, and there's paper in there, and, 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 and there's marks all over the dashboard. How do you feel? You think, hold, hold on, that's all of my savings, and I've given to this person, and this person here is not looking after it. What does God feel? What a wonderful gift he's given you and me. How are we abusing it? And that's how we're abusing it. With sexual, idolatry, strife and excesses. That is the natural man. We have four clear areas of our lives that need transforming. 
And that's why we should, because naturally, we don't like those. When I've gone through them, hopefully you can identify them and thinking, actually, yeah, I really do need to change. And um, here, here are some antidotes. Because what we've done here is we've identified the problems. And it's really useful to identify the problems first. Whenever you're going through any project, you identify the problems first, don't you? There was a, 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 um, a person called um, Charles Stemetz. Now, Charles Stemetz was a very famous um, electrical engineer in the 1950s. And uh, he was working away as a consultant, as an electrical engineer, and General Electric had a machine. Now, this machine was huge. It, It filled a great big warehouse. It was enormous, this machine, and it went wrong. And this machine cost millions and millions of dollars. And all of the individuals came and tried to mend it, and they couldn't. So they called in Charles Stemmets to come in and have a look at this machine. And Charles Stemmets came in, and he spent about ten minutes looking at the machine, and he said, yeah, he said, the problem is just here, you need to change a small valve that's in here. And we looked at him and said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. And he left. There for just ten minutes. They'd spent days, weeks, trying to mend this machine. And in ten minutes, he, I, he said, yep, this is what you need to do. So during that day, they changed it, and they put a new valve in, and it worked. And they wrote to Stemich and said, please, send in your bill. It worked. Thank you very much indeed. And Stemich sent in a bill for $10,000. And the accountant got to General Electric and thought, hang on one moment. $10,000 for 10-minute work. And he wrote back and said, could you just um, annotate your bill a little bit more, please? And it came back. And it had $1 to identify the problem. $9,999 to know exactly where the problem was. And that's why we look at the problems first. Because we can look at the problem so we can understand what we're dealing with. And now let's get into how we can look at some of the antidotes in our methods of transformation. And what we're going to look at is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why those two are put together. And that's why they're they're written. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in that way. He said, these are the issues. Have a look at them in detail and identify them in your life. And now let me give you the replacement theory. The dates that are going to come in and move out those yellow bananas. And it is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, whenever we talk about the Spirit, perhaps sometimes we feel a little bit uncomfortable. Why? Why is that? Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we naturally think about tongues and and healing and, and, and dramatic acts. Those are the gifts of the Spirit. This is fundamentally different from the fruit of the Spirit. And what I feel is unfortunate, 
Certainly, um, it's, it's, it's certainly true in, in, in some areas in the UK, is I think that we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. Hope you understand that phrase. Good, you do. Okay. Um, for we don't talk about the Spirit very much. And that's a real shame. Because it says this. It says this in Romans 8. It says, Be controlled by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Absolutely. We should have the Spirit in us. Oh, how comfortable do we feel when we talk about that? We think, does that mean I'm going to be speaking in tongues? No, it doesn't. Those are the gifts of the Spirit. We are talking here about the fruit of the Spirit. Brethren and sisters, we should be filled with the Spirit. And that will produce the fruit. So, hopefully, that's cleared that up a little bit. I'm not talking about the gifts. That's totally different. I have never seen the gifts work. I have seen the fruit. Something else as well. Are you and me, are we human beings or are we human doings? You see, the fruit of the Spirit is about being. It's not about doing. God is... God actually is not interested... Take this as I mean it. God is not interested in what you do. God is interested in why you do it. And when you analyse a lot of the issues of the acts of sinful nature... They might be acts, but when you delve into what the Greek means, it's actually the motives. So we should be human beings, not human doings. And that is the transformation. It's a transformation of us inwardly, not the conforming, the doings bit. It's the changing inwardly. It's the taking away of those acts of sinful nature and replacing it with the fruit of the Spirit. And why does it say, why does it say the fruit of the Spirit? And goes on and talks about nine of them. Why does it say the fruits of the Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, well this is what I think about it. When we say this, the family in room number 213 is the Smiths. And that's John and Peter and Jane and Bobby. And that's what I think is being said here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, which consists of joy, peace, tolerance. And I think that's what is being said here. The fruit of the Spirit is just one thing. And then there are eight aspects of that love to describe, to describe it. It's, it's like an orange. But what you have is you have, this is an orange, and when you open it up, there are eight segments in it. And isn't eight wonderful? 
Eight, of course, means new beginning. You've got um, eight people who went on the ark. Um, first day of the week is the eighth day. There were eight resurrections, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. It is all about a new beginning. And why is it new? Because we're replacing the old. We're replacing the sinful nature with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Okay. So, let's now have a look at the fruit of the Spirit. What we're repl- this is the replacement theory. We've identified how we are naturally. Let's now have a look at what we can replace it with. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And the first one, of course, is love, agape. And I won't go into that too much. You've heard more talks than I'm sure I have um, on agape. Of course, it is divine love. Safe to say this. If I said to you, um, do do you in here um, love Fred Smith? You're sort of looking puzzled. You're thinking, who? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me tell you, if you knew Fred Smith, like I knew Fred Smith, you'd love him. How can you love somebody that you don't know? And that's how God works. He says, you come and know me, and when you know me in your mind, then the more you get to understand me, you will love me in your heart. That's what agape is. Agape is not just an emotion, And it's not just a head understanding. It is absolutely the two of them. And we have to be careful that we don't get steeped in just understanding without having lots of emotion. What is God interested in? He's interested in a relationship. Not just an understanding. And relationship requires an emotion And are we emotionally attached to God? So it is an understanding which brings forth an emotion. Love is both. Agape love is both. So, that's what love. Let's now have a look at this in a bit more detail. Let's have a look at the segments, the eight segments of of love. First one then, joy. Now, what this doesn't mean... This doesn't mean that when you become a Christian that you walk around with a big grin on your face. That's not what it's about. What is it about then? Is it about always being happy? No. It's not. So what is it? That's why this Greek word, kara, is important. Because this word literally means doubt abandoned. That's what this means. It doesn't mean walking around being happy all the time. It means doubt abandoned. And it's probably, in the translation, lost a little bit of the the true meaning there. You see, doubt was part of the curse, wasn't it? There was Adam and Eve. Previously, they were walking around in the garden and once they'd eaten of the fruit of the tree, they went to hide. Because they weren't too sure. They were doubtful about their relationship now with God. But this here is all about doubt abandoned. Now, I'm going to say something here that I don't want you to take the wrong way. Um, 
what does it really mean in terms of doubt abandoned? It's a, a knowledge, a surety, that you will be in the kingdom. Oh, hang on. Are we happy with that? This is nothing to do with being arrogant. Please don't get me wrong here. This is about knowing that God's grace is sufficient for me. That is what I mean by doubt abandoned. It's the the confidence in God's grace. So, that's what this joy means. It's it's the trust. It's the more that we, we appreciate God and his love for me, the more that doubt will be abandoned. God is wanting so much for you and me to have a relationship with him forever. And therefore, I know that he wants me to be in the kingdom. And his grace is sufficient for me to be there. So, that's, that's the Kara point. The next point is one of peace. And again, this is perhaps a surprising word. This isn't someone who's sitting back in the chair thinking, this is, a, this is fine. And it is actually all about an inner peace. And the word actually means there, I'm not going to attempt to describe to say it, Irene. Irene, probably Irene, or something like that. Um, it actually means an inner peace. Now, you might say, yeah, but that's easier for some people than others. Some people are naturally quite laid back. I'm a bit of a stressful person. So it's easier for them than me. Or it might be, well, that person there's got a nice life. Me, I've got bills up to here, I've got troubles with my family or the neighbour. It's easier for other people, so circumstances, it's a bit different for me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, for some of you, inner peace will be a little bit more difficult. It says, what we should be looking for is inner peace. And inner peace is all about Trust in God. If you think about it, the inner peace is about looking at our life and saying that God is working for the good in absolutely everything. And sometimes that's a bit of a difficulty, isn't it? Because it might be right now for you that you're in a particular situation, you're thinking, why has God done this? I believe that God is interested in 100% of my life. 100% of my life. Not just the big things, because the big things are made up of lots of little things. If God knows how many hairs I've got on my head, and I haven't got that many, but if God knows that, he is really interested in every little aspect of my life. Because he's interested in my salvation. He's interested in having a relationship with me forever. And therefore, he is working for good. He is working towards my transformation. And that should be an inner peace that we have. A knowledge that God is working 100% in my life in order to get me ready for the kingdom when it comes. What about the next one then? The next one is long-suffering and patience. 
And that actually, the Greek word there, is macrothemio. Now, if you remember the last one, themio means anger, and macro means slow. So it's slow to anger. It doesn't mean no anger at all. It means slow to anger. I, um, it's a, a couple of days ago, I don't really have this in, 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 in the States, but, uh, or in Canada, or, but certainly in the UK, we have, at the checkout in the supermarket, we have um, an express line. Do you have one of those? Good, good, okay. It says nine items or less. Okay? Yep. I was queuing up in one of them about four days ago. I was queuing up, and I was in the queue, and I looked in the person's basket in front of me. One, two, three. He had 11 items in there. You're right, you see? That's what I thought. I can't... It's 11. I was seething. I was absolutely seething. And then that evening, I started to write this talk. I'm thinking, what am I doing? Hold on one moment. It is easy to do, isn't it? And perhaps you've been there in that queue. You've been there and you can't... And you, I can't believe the guy. Or when you're driving around the motorway or the freeway, whatever you call it, and there's a queue and you're there and somebody pulls up and, and want to push in. You're not going to let them in, are you? You're right up close to that car in front. They're not going to come in. You don't look at them. You don't look at them at all. But you're seething of someone that he then goes on and he gets in front of the person in front of you. You are seething. Slow to anger. And that is something that, that we have to look to do. It's a natural thing. It's a natural thing when you hit your finger with the hammer <gasps> to get angry. But, you know, God is saying here, a slow stop. Just stop and stop those natural tendencies. Gentleness. Crestotis is the word here. It literally means undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Oh, that's quite fascinating. Because I think in some versions it's, uh, it might be transferred, uh, translated as, as kindness. But actually the literal word means undeserved kindness. And that's important because it is so easy, isn't it, um, to be kind to those who are kind to us. You be kind to those people who aren't kind to you. Psalm 7, don't look at it now. I was quite surprised at this one though. Psalm 7, it says that God gets angry with us every day. God gets angry with us every day. But he is slow to anger and shows us undeserved kindness. And this is the process of transformation. The process of transformation is just taking a, that deep breath. And not going down the natural route, but being something a little bit different. How about this one here? Goodness. Agathosuni. And this actually means using our conscience. The fundamental difference between you and you, me, and the animal kingdom is we have got this little thing inside us 
called conscience. We are not a set of reflex actions. The animal kingdom are a set of reflex actions. We're not. We have this thing called conscience. We know, actually, intuitively, what is good and what is not good. I'm going to ask you some questions here. Don't put your hand up, but just sort of think to yourself, okay, you're walking along the road, and there's a guy in front of you, you're walking with your Christadelphian friend, and the person in front of you, there's a $50 note, and it drops out. What do you do? You're with your Christadelphian friend. I suggest that you probably pick it up, tap the person on the shoulder, and give it to him. Okay, all right? Second scenario, you're walking down the road on your own. Man in front of you, $50 note, drops out. You pick it up. I suspect that you probably might, <laughs> hopefully, I think you drop this. Okay. Man walking down the road, you're behind him. $50 note drops out. You know... I don't know how you know, but you know that this man actually got this $50 note from selling drugs to young children. Now what do you do? Ah, oh, there you go. You're all of a sudden, you're making some value judgments here, aren't you? Nobody's taught you this. Nobody has taught you what is right and what is wrong? But you have this little thing inside you called conscience that God has given you. And what he's saying is he's saying, use it. Hone your conscience. Use it a lot. And how should you use it? Um, Descartes, who's a, a French philosopher, said, I think, therefore I am. I suggest we should be, I think, therefore God is. And that's what these are all about. This is just not having the reflex action, but having the spirit of goodness, which is just taking time out and being different, using that spirit of conscience. Next one. Faith. You know faith, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1 talks about, talks about the substance, the evidence. It's all about things that are certain. You know that when you, when Jeff sat down on that chair, he had faith that the chair was going to hold him. And actually, he put it into practice. It wasn't a case of, I've got faith in that chair, but I'll go and send this one over here. <laughs> this is all about putting your faith into action. That's what Hebrews 11 talks about. It's, it's something that you do because of what you know. And it should be reflected in our action. And uh, this final one here, in the fruit of the Spirit, is the one of meekness. 
praeotes. Um, oh no, there's one more after that, sorry. Um, and this is um, meekness. And it's interesting that God in Psalm 8 is talked about as being meek. Jesus is talked about as being meek. Meek, if you said to a, a, a teenager, I want you to be meek, they'd go, I don't want to be meek. But meekness is all about, it literally means, proetes means controlled strength. And comes back to this area again of about being in control. And God is meek. Why? Because he has controlled strength. And this is the last one. Temperance. Temperance or self-control. And that almost sums it up because it's all about being in control. It's holding back those natural tendencies. And that's what ekratia means. It means in control of yourself. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. And that helps us in displacing the glass. And it's beautifully put together here in terms of the antidotes. Because sexual, we look at temperance and goodness. And if you have a look at what those literally mean, they will displace the sexual elements. Idolatry and witchcraft. Think about faith, joy and meekness. They're great for displacing that. For strife, think about gentleness and slow to anger. And for excess is the inner peace. And those beautiful eight elements of the fruit of the Spirit displace those four major categories of the elements in terms of our transformation of the natural person. We are naturally full of air. We should be full of the Spirit. And we should be praying to be full of the Spirit. I don't know whether you've uh, ever looked at um, a vine. And when we think of um, the fruit, the grapes, we understand that. But actually, at some time or other, break a, uh, a branch on the vine. And I did that once, uh, well, I did it by mistake. I went back the next day, and there was a little pool of water, and I'm thinking, that must be the sap. And I put my finger in it, and I tasted it. And do you know what? It's grape juice. Running through the branches is the grape juice. And the fruit is the little sap that you can see. And isn't that marvellous? Because running through us should be the spirit, and what you can see is the fruit. And so, this morning we've talked about that transformation from the natural man to having fruit of the Spirit. And that's why we should do it. Because we want to have the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I'll finish with, a, with just a little story. It's, um, it was a Native American who was being interviewed. He was a Christian. And in the interview he was asked... What was it like to be a Christian? And the Native American looked up and he said, 
it's a little bit like having two dogs inside me. And the interviewer said, sorry? He said, it's a little bit like having two dogs inside me. One is a black dog and one is a white dog. And the interviewer said to the Native American, so tell me, um, what are these dogs doing? And the Native American said, they're fighting. They're fighting, said the interviewer. Yes, said Native American. So, said the interviewer, which of the two dogs wins, the white dog or the black dog? A Native American thought for a while, and he said, the dog that wins the most is the one that I feed the most. <laughs>